0: I told him this morning, it feels, it makes me feel really old because now we have a granddaughter who's the same age as the babies that we're doing here, and it feels like that was just yesterday that we were the ones that were up here, but it is a whole lot of fun to be on this side of it, I must say. All of it's fun, but, all right, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11, and while you're finding there, Sophie's going to come up and light our Advent candles. Come on up here. Um... So for those of you who are visiting today, we're going through a series, um, through the Advent series. Last week we started with hope and the candle of hope. We heard about the hope that is coming. And if you think about hope, something that struck me um, last Sunday, and, and again as I was just thinking through it, is hope always is tied with waiting. If you've, if you've received something or you've... Um, if you've gotten what you've been hoping for, you don't need to hope anymore. So that the hoping and waiting—and I don't know if you how how many of you enjoy waiting—but I don't. Um, generally, That's hard. But it's all a part. Hope is tied right in with waiting. And then today we have the candle of peace. So we're looking at peace today. The next Sunday, joy, and the following Sunday, love, and that will take us right up to Christmas. So all all of our um, the text for all of our for this whole series is all out of Isaiah and I realized that Isaiah maybe this is just me Isaiah itself is really hard to preach from it's so full of great great passages but the the, the beautiful passages of hope and of life and and all that are sandwiched in, be- in between all these um these words of judgment and punishment that's coming to the people and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but prophecy is, is something that can be difficult to wrestle with. Um, so we're going to look at Isaiah 11. There's, there's two scriptures that were given with it. We're not going to cover Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. If you want to read those at some point, those are beautiful. It's a beautiful passage, but we're not going to get into that at all. But today we're looking at peace, and if I would ask you to describe peace, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? Peace has, we, we talk about it in a lot of different ways. Um, peace is, it's the absence of conflict. I think it is that. Things in life are are settled. But I think peace is much more than that. When we look at peace and how it's used in Scripture, um, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's mentioned over 400 times and most of those are referring to Jesus himself, it carries this idea of wholeness, of things being set to one. So all these broken pieces, all these, all these things in our lives that are chaotic, that are shattered, that are messy, there's a wholeness that comes with peace. It, it, it's bringing a wholeness and bringing it back together, this rest and quietness, so my question is, how do you attain that peace? Sometimes that peace feels like it's just out there. Dep- I don't know what, what you're going through this morning, but I know there's times in life when I'm going through things and peace feels like the furthest thing. It feels like it's not, not within reach. It's just way out there. And I wonder, as, as I read through Isaiah here, the first 39 chapters are filled with really hard messages of judgment, of punishment, things that are coming for the children of Israel um, in, in way, by way of punishment, but then also in that there's tied these pieces of hope. But I wonder if they don't, didn't feel maybe kind of like that, that peace is this idea that's out there. How do we get there? I mean, are, their lives are in chaos. What does peace look like when you're living in the middle of that? <clears throat> Isaiah chapter eleven, and I'm going to be reading it from this immersed series. I love these for the the, the Old Testament because it this, this it's uh, the NLT is the translation, but it takes the chapters and verses out completely, and then it's um, it reads much more like a story. So I'm actually going to start in chapter thirty nine. I'm not even exactly sure which verse it is. Um, I think it's maybe the last two verses in 39 because they tie into the first part of chapter 11. So, if you follow along or just listen, this is um, Isaiah. I'm sorry, did I say chapter 39? Chapter 10, the end of chapter 10 and into verse 11, chapter 11. But look, the Lord of the the Lord the Lord of heaven's armies will chop down. The mighty tree of Assyria, with great power, he will cut down the proud. That lofty tree will be brought down. He will cut down the forest trees with an axe. Lebanon will fall to the mighty one. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a branch bearing fruit from the old root. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf will live, and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. the cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. A baby will play near, safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. So Isaiah is pointing the people forward to something Something that they're not going to see for a very long time yet. So I just want to maybe do this a little bit differently. I just want to point out a couple things in the passage and then come back and, and bring a couple of applications, if I can, to the passage here. Um, but I do, I do want to start in verse 1 of chapter 11. This shoot... I think other translations say that it comes out of the stump of Jesse. And this shoot, obviously, I think we're aware, is referring to Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the king who's going to come and establish a kingdom of peace. But how will that king come to establish this kingdom of peace? How is Jesus going to come to establish his kingdom? And I think we recognize. This shoot does not have a whole lot of strength, does not have a whole lot of power. That, I wanted to read the end of chapter 10 there because it points, it's talking about these, these trees that God is going to cut down. It's this judgment that he's bringing to Assyria. But Assyria, um, the trees that he's talking about, are these cedar trees, these cedar trees in Scripture are used to, to depict strength, elegance, strength, um, they're used to describe power and luxury. If you read through, I think it's Ezekiel. Um, it talks about how, how the, the cedar trees, the cedars of Lebanon, and then actually like David and Solomon, they imported the cedars of Lebanon for their palaces. So there was there was so many so much of strength and power of the like worldly power tied to the imagery of the the cedar tree. And it says those are cut down. And then there's this stump from the root of Jesse. And out of that grows this little shoot. And there's a kingdom that is built. That, that, there, there's, there's a strength, there's a power that lies within that little shoot that seems so flimsy and weak. There's a strength and a kingdom that is built on that. I was thinking about that this morning. And... The birth of Jesus. You read through the story in Matthew and in Luke. And so this is only the Old Testament prophets. You take your Bible and you hold out a page. About a half a page is all that is covered in the actual birth of Jesus. The coming of our Savior. The coming of this, this shoot from Jesse that Isaiah is talking to is just this little, almost a blip on the radar so how should a king come? I don't know if you guys are familiar with there's a song I remember singing it in a choir years ago but it says the title of the song was How Should a King Come? Let me just read a bit of this. This is how we think a king should come in a beautiful city in the prime of the day and the trumpets should cry and the crowds make way and flags fly high in the morning sun. And the people all cheer for the Sovereign One. And everyone knows that's the way that it's done. That's the way that a king should come. And high on a hill his castle should glow with the lights of the city like jewels below. And everyone knows that's the way that it's done, that that's the way that a king should come. On a star-filled night into Bethlehem rode a weary woman and a worried man. And the only sound in the cobblestone street was a shuffle in the ring of a donkey's feet, and a king lay hid in a virgin's womb, and there were no crowds to see him come. At last, in a barn in a manger of hay, he came, and God incarnate lay. How did our king come? It was just this little, no one found out. The world had no idea what had just happened. And yet, that baby grew up and changed the world and changed our world in a way that no person or human ever could or ever will again. In a nondescript town, in a nondescript way, the king was born. And I just want to point out a couple of things about this kingdom that this king came to establish that Isaiah talks about here. Notice that he says how he's filled with the Spirit of God is resting on him. And then his kingdom, the character of his kingdom, is filled with truth and righteousness. I think it's about verses 3 to 5 about that. How he will judge, not on appearance or what people say. He's going to bring justice and truth. And the people of Isaiah's time must have been crying out for justice for their lives. They've been... um, They've been attacked, they've been taken over by Assyrian armies, they've been held as slaves, they've been chased out of their homeland. They want righteousness, and they want justice for their land. And if you need more about the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to establish, turn to the Sermon on the Mount. We just heard about that here about a month ago, in the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Not to this physical kingdom, not with physical reign, but reigning in the hearts and the minds of people. Jesus brought, brings a kingdom that is characterized by righteousness and faithfulness, a kingdom with a king that the world desperately needs, but doesn't realize it needs. And so Jesus was born in this little town, nondescript, and people missed him coming. So many people. But then Isaiah takes us forward even a little bit further into this, this last, that, that last piece about the wolf and the lamb lying together, the leopard will lie down with the baby goat, and all pointing us forward even further to something that's coming, I believe. Isaiah wants us to, to think forward to his, Christ's second coming. Now, if you, re, if you read through that and just let your mind wander, that just seems like this idealistic, peaceful place, because there's no harm, there is no fear, there's no death. There's no attacking one another. All of that is gone. But there's a fullness of Christ's kingdom that has not yet been realized, and that's what Isaiah is talking about here. And then he says that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. And that's not just a mere knowledge of God, but a, mere, um, a truly knowing God. There's this completeness and wholeness that is brought by the kingdom of God when Christ comes again. So we had some of you are aware. Um, last evening we had a live nativity at Sweetwater Farm, and so yesterday morning Isaac and I made a trip um, to this this guy down down south of here that has a little has an old McDonald's farm. He's just got about every critter you can you can have or imagine. I was like, oh man, that's my dream. That'd be so much fun. But when we left there, we were, somehow we got on this discussion about having all these different kinds of animals and whatnot, and even having like a predator, like a lion or a bear, raising a bear from little on up and having this big bear. Would this bear ever turn on you? It was like, I had to think of this passage because this passage talks about you can, you can sit with the bear no fear, no worries. But if I were to raise a bear now, from even from a cub on up, at some point in time, you, there, there's always this thing in the back of my mind, is that thing going to turn on me? Is, it, is, that, is it gonna, something going to snap and something's going to change? And, and, what, and I don't know what that, that doesn't really have anything to do with this other than my imagination was running wild here for a little bit. But imagine this scenario where there is no fear, of each other, of death, of wild animals. It says a a little child can sit at the, the nest of poisonous snakes with no fear. Just perfect peace. It is this taking creation back to what it was before sin came and just wreaked havoc in this world. The total chaos. So this king has come, when Jesus came in Bethlehem, and in Advent, we're looking forward to, or we were reflecting back on that. The king has come, but there's also this pointing us forward to something that's to come yet. So knowing this, knowing how our king came, knowing that he came to usher in this kingdom of peace, and knowing that it's not yet complete, but knowing that his peace can thrive in our hearts, how is that, that all going to affect how you and I live. How should we go throughout this season, this Christmas season? How should it affect how I think, how I live, how I relate to people? How can peace reign in our hearts in the midst of a world not, like un, not unlike what the readers of Isaiah, the listeners of Isaiah would have been living in? There's so much turmoil in their lives. Three things just really quickly here. The kingdom of peace, the kingdom that Jesus came to establish is internal. It's not external. And I discovered something, um, and I think there's a beautiful word picture um, in in this passage with the cutting down of the cedar tree and then what would be the olive tree, the the stump of David, an olive tree, and that new shoot. As I I was reading, researching and reading about that, listening to some guys, their perspectives, and talking about it. And I discovered something, and, and it began to make sense to me. So this idea that the peace that Jesus came to bring is an internal peace, and that's something that no one can then take away. But the word picture that's here is, so the cedars of Lebanon, I, I said like, those were this, this picture of power and of might and of luxury, of having everything that this world says is success. Everything that this world says is power and what you need to build a kingdom. But if you were to go in and cut down a cedar tree, or even if you would cut them back too far, that tree will die and it will not grow back. Because, and I I began to see this, if you look at evergreens, the inside, the outside of the trees are beautiful and green. There's all this new growth. But on the inside of a cedar, is what they call a dead zone, and if you trim all that beauty, all that excess, all the green away, inside is that dead zone. And if you hit that dead zone, the tree is done, and it will not grow back. Now, we, in our backyard, we have a little cherry tree that I don't know why it's still there. Um, I've threatened to cut it down numerous times. I never have, and it's been it's been destroyed. I don't know how many times, but I had this idea of you take an okay. So let me let me tell you this: an olive tree. You cut down an olive tree. There's new shoots that come. New shoots grow. There's actually an olive an olive tree in Israel today that is thought to be four thousand years old. Because you can cut down an olive tree and it will grow new shoots, and they just and they continue to produce over and over and over and over and over again. Because. But if you look at the bark of an olive tree, it looks, it's ugly, actually. It's really ugly, and it looks dead. But on the inside, there's all this new life. You see the picture? There's this new life that's coming from the inside. The outside might not look like it's that great and majestic, but on the inside, there's this new life that keeps giving, and keeps giving, and keeps giving over and over and over again. But that little cherry tree that thing's been knocked over it's been broken off at least two or three times and it just keeps growing right back. And I it was like is it the same idea with this um, with the kingdom that Jesus came to build? It can be we can be hammered and um, what are the words that Paul uses? We can be we can be hit from every side from every angle in life that we experience day to day and yet on the inside, there's this new life and there's this rest that we find because we have this peace that it can't be taken away because it's an internal peace. It's not dependent on external circumstances. So you can cut us down and yet new life is going to spring forth. And secondly is that, new, that peace, true peace, is found in a person, not in our circumstances. True peace is found in a person When we seek peace, when I'm trying to find a place of peace, I I look for this place where I have control over the circumstances in life. I can control over um, the things that that may come or may not come. But even when we have this sense of control, it's nothing more than an, an illusion of peace. True peace is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. I found this quote somewhere. I'm not sure who it was from, but it says Peace is not the absence of something, but it is the presence of someone. So that something that maybe we might think needs to be absent it can be fear, turmoil, death, destruction. We talked about it this morning. Um, Wayne actually mentioned a friend, a friend who has cancer and was given anywhere from three days to two months to live. You have all those things that, that oh, just, they can just tear us down. They, our circumstances can feel like they're out of control. And yet, he can live in peace. Because he knows that this isn't the end of the story. He knows there's a final chapter to be written. Micah 5 says this. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall... Dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Notice that the peace is found in a person, not in his circumstances. And then lastly is that something we probably don't talk about near enough. But one day the king is going to come back and he's going to set all things straight. One day we're going to experience what Isaiah was talking about in this lion laying down with the lamb, that kind of peace inward, outward, everywhere. Everything is going to be set back to right, which is the exact definition of peace, being set to right. There's this wholeness that's coming. And so, talking about Jesus and Him coming back and setting all things right, C.S. Lewis said this. He says, aim at heaven And you will get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you will get neither. I've heard people say that we can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But if we know the end of the story, we know the last chapter that's been written. We know that one day he's coming back. So think of the the people that Isaiah is writing to. Isaiah's writing to them about this kingdom that's going to come and the, all the hope, all the peace, the joy, the love that's going to come with this kingdom. And yet, this is written 700 plus years before Jesus ever comes. They sat, they waited and waited and waited, but they looked forward with hope. And now we look back at the coming of Jesus, but we're still part of that same story because the story's not yet. Complete. And so we look forward to his coming because one day that is going to happen and all things will be set right and that should drastically change how we live because it changes our perspective. When things are going wrong, when our world is in chaos, we have someone who walks with us. We have a king who came and related with us and was tempted in every way like as we are but we know then he's also coming back and he will set all things straight and so we look forward to that one day Revelation Revelation 22 20 this is actually if you'd go to the liturgical calendar church calendar or whatever where um, that, some of the scriptures that go with Advent this is one of the main scriptures of Advent, and it's what I want to end with. Revelation second of that last verse in your Bibles, says this, Surely I am coming soon. He's coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He's going to come, and He's going to set all things right. What a day that's going to be. Would you stand with me for prayer?